0: If you love all things gardening, why not join us at our Spring Fair from the 3rd to the 5th of May at Bewley in Hampshire. You'll find everything you need to kickstart the season. Find out more at bbcgardenersworldfair.com. See you there!
1: Hello, welcome to Growing Greener. I'm Ara Anderson, and this is my podcast series for Gardeners World magazine, where I'm inviting experts to share their knowledge about how we can all become sustainable gardeners. Through a blend of science-based facts, research, experience, and above all passion, you'll discover how your actions in the garden will make a real difference to the planet. If I asked you what you thought sustainable garden design is, what would your answer be? Well, not many of us would think it starts with kindness to ourselves and listening. Putting this ethos at the heart of her award-winning design is what drives my guest today, landscape architect Marion Boswell. From choice of materials to plant schemes, join us on our virtual walk through a garden. Hi Marion, welcome to Growing Greener. Thank you for having me. Oh, it's an absolute delight, as always. Um, so I'm going to get straight on with it. Um, we're certainly seeing a growth, pardon the pun, <laughs> of people engaging with their gardens, um, whether it's DIY projects or having their garden designed and landscaped, which obviously is really great. However, the joy of gardens and gardening can and often does blind us to the impact that designing and building of a garden can actually have on the land. So I'm just wondering, in, in your experience, what are the sort of landscaping materials that are often used that do impact the land? And, and have you found any other alternatives? Oh,
0: yes. So I think the, the main thing to think about if you are looking at hard landscaping, so if you're looking at hard versus soft, then in terms of cost, soft landscaping tends to be a lot cheaper than hard. So that can be a bit of a benefit anyway if people are thinking which to use. So if you've got a choice between growing something or laying something that's hard down, it's often better to go soft. After that, it's best to go permeable because then we have runoff, with water runoff, we prevent flooding. So uh, gravel is a great one to use. Um if there's a sort of hierarchy if you like after that when you're looking at the amount of carbon versus the amount of water used versus the um amount of fossil fuel full fuel that's used. So, I mean, if we start at the sort of top, most miserable items, tarmac isn't great because it's got a lot of fossil fuel in it and it's not permeable. So, if you've got a choice between tarmacking your drive and graveling your drive, then it would be better to go for gravel, for example, because gravel is laid on something called type one, which is permeable. Um, they both come with some um, fossil fuel cost of transport. So then it's a good idea to see where your products are coming from. So so try and shorten the distance. So if you're looking for a sort of cost benefit, if you're looking at your suppliers and trying to get them more local is is much better. And similarly, in hard landscaping, if we're looking at something like the stones, stone is a fabulous resource because it lasts for a very, very long time. So it can be reused. If it's laid on like a a mortar bed rather than on a cement bed uh, or a lime mortar bed, then it can be lifted. Or if it's laid laid straight on type one with gaps, then you can plant in between it. But if you, for example, have a choice between uh, a recycled stone or a stone which is being shipped in from a very long way away, much better to buy something recycled which is um, nearby than to inbuilt, uh, inbuild the cost of, of the shipping, the, not just the financial cost, but the fossil fuel cost. And the other thing to think, if we're talking sustainability, is not just the harm um, to the uh, physical planet, but also the human part of the planet. And some of these stones, which are um, quarried in the, some of the developing nations, are and, and not ethically. Uh, quarried so there is something called the ethical trading initiative and it's really good to make sure that your stone is supplied by somebody who subscribes to that initiative because there are reports of things like um, sort of gang masters and slavery and just just some of the some of those quarries um, are not very well very nicely run so I think it's really worth looking at um, how your product gets to you as well as um, what it does when it when it's on the ground.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think it's, you know, I know it sort of feels like I've started there with a bit of doom and gloom, but I think it's one of these things I really want to talk about is the fact that, you know, when we are trying to reshape our gardens, and of course, the the, the, you know, the outcome is something that we want to be beautiful and that we're going to use. But I think sometimes, you know, um, we can sort of miss some of these things that you're raising, you know, with the stones, because we're so often driven by price, aren't we? You know, obviously, gardens cost, physically cost money.
0: Yes, but uh, yes, there's the price, uh, and then. But I think also there's the notion of beauty, and and I know you and uh, you and I share a view on this, Eric, that uh, beauty being skin deep, um, it should be much much deeper than that. And uh, I like I love the F- Scott Fitzgerald quote when uh, it's um, part of the Great Gatsby when he he says um, she was beautiful but not like the girls in the magazines. She was beautiful for the way she thought, and I like it the idea that our gardens can be beautiful because of what they do and not just because of sort of having a magazine look. So I think thinking about everything that goes into them from that point of view, it may, makes them a place of sort of spiritual beauty as well, where we get all that kind of good karma, if you like.
1: Yeah, and that's such a lovely way, isn't it, to reframe how we view our gardens because it depends which window, and I don't mean the bifold, <laughs> But I mean, which which lens do you want to look at your garden? And as you say, the more you can think about a garden, about what it does rather than what it looks like. And I know that this is really the passionate part of what you do. I mean, while we're talking about um, sustainability, and I think it's important that we hear your definition, your ethos about sustainability, because I know how it demonstrates its way through your work and I know how passionate you are and I'd really love to to hear that and and talk about that more oh
0: you are lovely well sustainability uh, so I very much believe that we are um, part of nature I think isn't it something like 34 percent of us is uh, human and the rest is all um, have I got that the wrong way around Uh, anyway not much of us is, is human, and the rest is all funguses and uh, microbe, uh, microbes and bacterias. So we are part of nature straight away, even if we, before we step out the door. And if we think like that, think less of us being um, outside nature, then we can think when we're looking after nature, actually we're looking after ourselves as well. And so we can give ourselves permission to look after ourselves. So if, if I think, oh, I'm going to go outside and look after nature, which is out there, it's slightly different to thinking I'm going to look, look after myself as part of nature. So I think kindness is the absolute beginning, being kind to ourselves, being kind to the planet, being kind to the birds and the animals. And really, if that's your watchword, then that's the measure for everything, isn't it?
1: Mm-hmm. And, no, and definitely. Yeah,
0: that's that's really the beginning and the end of um making yourself and the planet
1: happy? Well, I think that, you know, I'm sure that a lot of your clients have have felt that a lot happier in the spaces that you've you've um given them. And and I think that, you know, it's really what I've really noticed in your work and when I've um read your pieces is that you give a lot of time over to listening to the land. Now, some people might think as they're listening to us, what do they mean by that? So you know, expand upon that for us, Marion.
0: Yes, absolutely. So it's, a, by listening to the land, I mean a kind of energetic listening. You know, if, if you're talking to somebody, um, you're talking to somebody, there's the words they say, but there's also something about the way they say it and something about the look of them and something about what you're understanding between the words, Um and i think we can all we can all sense that it's the same when you go outside if you can take time to sit and to to look around you you'll get the feeling you know are there many birds are there um, does does the does it taste nice you know does the air taste nice i mean that's quite an important thing if you if you go down near the soil does it smell nice um, does it do you have a feeling that um, good things have happened there or do you have a feeling of sadness and I think all of those sorts of things are things which, I mean, we talk about um, our minds being in our heads, but it's also in our gut, and one gets a gut reaction to places, and you can really begin to get a feel for, for what's needed by by listening. And lots of visual clues, I mean, the basic visual clue, for, for example, you know how... Um, Now, if you get a drone in the summer, you can see where historically there were buildings because the the grass is dried out. So, I mean, that's an extreme. But if you look in in, at your own uh, garden, you can see, for example, where tree roots are uh, on the ground. So you can see where it would be dry, where it'd be difficult to plant because of the tree roots. You might see that there's not much growing under the hedge. So that is a clue that it's very dry or that the hedge is taking up all of the Um, nutrients and moisture. Um, You might see that there's a little bit of carex, which is a type of grass which grows in the wet, or a willow, uh, which shows you that the soil's wet. Or you can dig a hole and count how many worms, and that will tell you how healthy your soil is. Or you can dig a hole and fill it with water, and see how quickly it drains. And if it doesn't drain for a day, then you know you're on heavy clay (laughs) or you've got a problem. (laughs) So all of those sorts of things. I mean, listening to the land is really a question of understanding what what it would be if we weren't there and then really trying to go with the flow. So working with nature is as much... um, I mean, classically, we're taught to right plant, right place. And what does that mean? It means to... um, choose the plant that will absolutely thrive there. And that's about where the plant comes from, but it's also about the place. And we can't understand our gardens until we understand uh, what's going on in, in the garden. And after that, we can bring the plants in.
1: Yeah. And I have to say, I'm, sort of, I'm sitting here with a slight guilt feeling because I remember my sister when I got my first garden and which led me to where I am now and and her, she's a gardener and her saying to me now Ari, it's really kind of good practice to wait for a year and see what goes on and this <laughs> was in the septem- this was in the September I've never gardened at this point and I got to March which was pretty good <laughs> for me and I just went there's nothing there's nothing coming up and, and on I cracked and you know ca- carried on and I can think now hmm yes maybe in that first year if i'd done a little bit on more observation because we're often too keen aren't we to get going but that that time of, of preparation i can see now uh, would have been a good benefit
0: if you, yeah if you can if you can bear i think one of the things which um gardening does teach us eventually is patience isn't it but i do love that thing you know dear god please make me patient please hurry up
1: yes yes i I i definitely resonate with that now you know when i think you know um you know there's obviously like i said before it's great that people are immersing themselves in garden and and thinking about you know um redesign it maybe themselves or engaging a designer as well um what sort of things are on your um, your your sort of questionnaire, as it were? Because I mean, as designers, we need to go around and we need to collect a brief. And I'm just interested to kind of know from a you know a sustainability perspective, and also from your experience over the last twenty you know twenty five years of, of being a landscape architect, you know how how has your questioning to a client shifted with the changing times?
0: Well, I think one of the first questions is to whether you're designing it yourself or, or being helped is really to think about how you want to live. Um, do you want to spend all your time gardening, uh, which a lot of people do, but a lot of people don't. So if you don't want to spend your time gardening and you want to spend some time uh, sitting and, and being, then not to build in too much work or to make sure that you have the, the means or uh, the ways of getting help to To make sure that the the garden can be gardened, or to allow it to uh, sort of gently look after itself and be a bit wilder, so I think that that's the first question is really is how much uh, how do you want to live, and then um, I think w- where are you? So where are you in terms of which way does your garden face? Which way does uh, where does the wind come from? Where does the sun come from? Where does it the sun rise? Where does it set? One of the simplest things one can do in terms of energy saving and sustainability, is actually to plant a tree on the south side in order to give you some shade. Another key question is whether you want to have a space that's just for you. So do you want a space that's like a sort of a little sanctuary in the garden where you can almost go and hide? I mean, I tend to go and hide in my greenhouse if I want a a moment of calm but it might be that you want a a little space for yoga or a little space for reading or writing or something like that. So I think that's really important. Um, I also would ask people about um, whether they are able to save water, whether we can um, put in water butts or rainwater harvesting in a bigger place, or even a pond or a rain garden. I mean, on, on our bigger projects, we even put in lakes, you know, in huge places. Obviously that's not, not for everybody. Uh, how we can save energy in other ways. So in that said lake, we put a, a water source heat pump, which then saves um, obviously a lot of fossil fuels. But uh, have, you, have you got space for solar panels or for air source heat? All those sorts of things, just ways that we can build in other sort of sustainability in, in, into the garden. Um, and how how much do you want to grow to eat? I think one of the brilliant things we can really do is to, Even if it's not, even if we're not self-sufficient, a little bit of an understanding of what grows into what, what goes into what we eat makes such a difference uh, to appreciating it. And um, the taste is so different, doesn't it? A real, there's tomatoes in the greenhouse or carrots straight from the ground. Just brilliant.
1: (laughs) I mean, I think what's really, you know, what I'm really getting a sense of here is that from your design approach is first of all, let's understand how we're living. Because it, it, it's quite often, you know, when I, I remember from college, when I was, you know, being taught how to take these uh, questionnaires, which is part of the design brief, this is where it's all about what what's needed. And so much would be focused on the function. Where's the shed going? Where's the you know the, the children's trampoline and from a sustainable garden of course these things are important they're part of how we use the garden but there's so much more isn't there so what i'm hearing from you you know you know how we can use the resources in the garden the sun you know trees for shade and yeah um you know energy that's there already
0: yeah and i think that's one of the conversations sometimes um from a designer's point of view i hear um people say well we we can't uh be that sustainable because it's not what the clients want but actually i think most people do want to be sustainable they just need we collectively need to understand what that means and there are so many little decisions along the way so if you don't start by saying i want to barbecue a barbecue a new terrace and a swimming pool but actually if you want to, if you start by saying um i want to go swimming and entertain my friends and sit outside rather than um barbecue, a swimming pool, and a terrace, you might end up with reusing some of the terrace you already have or creating it out of gravel and making a gravel garden or having some of it as grass. You might end up with a a multifunctional, like a swimming pond, which is also great for biodiversity, or a swimming pool which doesn't use chlorine, something like that. And rather than a sort of gas barbecue, you might end up using something else. So all, all these sorts of things, if you start with what it is you uh, how it is that you want to live rather than what items you want. So what it is you want rather than what things you want. It also, it helps us to be slightly less uh, consumerist, doesn't it? Um, and if, if we start even before that and say, what is it that makes us happy? Uh, it might A lot of uh, people I speak to and say, you know, what, what are your happiest memories? It's sort of walking in a, a bluebell wood or uh, by a stream And all those sorts of things, uh, which actually a designed, very smart, sort of magazine-worthy London garden is a very mannered uh, sort of dream of that. It's not the real thing. So actually, why don't we just give them some, or or give ourselves, why don't we give ourselves... um, a few shrubs and and bulbs and somewhere to sit. And then you're sort of creating that rather than being led by the magazines. Let's go back to actually thinking what makes us happy rather than what
1: other people are telling us makes us happy. Yeah, that's, that's so important. I think, you know, you know, in terms of this perception of what a garden should be. And now within the design process, you know, getting things going on is inc- about increasing biodiversity and, are there any sort of um, elements within increasing biodiversity, Marion, that you really incorporate in your schemes?
0: Well, yes, I think if we go back to that idea of what really makes people happy, so much, uh, so the, the, the garden can often just be some sort of stage set, can't it? And then I think all the players are all the creatures that come and join you in it. So the, um, I'm looking out of the window now and I've got loads of birds coming to look at a bird, uh, at a bird feeder. Um, and for me, that makes me really happy. But in well, this is pouring with rain at the moment. But in the summer, you get the bees and the butterflies and even the worms, which we were talking about earlier. All those creatures uh, just animate the garden. Um, and of course, those are the pretty ones that we really like. But actually, there's loads of creepy crawlies and bugs, which we, we might not be quite so... Uh, used to being keen on, but they also do a really important job. And in fact, you know, isn't it interesting that the dung beetle is now sort of making a comeback as the sort of hero of the moment? Because if we don't have don't have the dung beetle, we're all in trouble. I think one of the things going back to what you were saying earlier about people understanding what it is that makes them happy, I think lockdown was a wonderful way of people realizing that when you're not being sort of judged by your neighbours because they can't see you, what is it you get up to? And I think that that's a, a lovely um, uh, a lovely measure for us all. So if we can all go outside and sort of potter around gardening in our pyjamas,
1: perhaps we'd be a, be a lot happier. <laughs> I don't think my neighbours would like to see my pyjamas, I've got to be honest. But, <laughs> but you know what? You know, I'm, I'm happy, to, happy to embrace it. I'm happy to embrace the changes. Um, now... I do want to congratulate you on publishing your first book, um, oh, Sustainable you. Garden, um, You know, which you've packed that full of information and tips um, and practical projects um, about how we can tread a lighter footprint um, in our gardens. Um, and one thing that you say is what does living within our means actually look like and how can we do it on a day-to-day basis? And I wondered, you know, for those um, – those people listening in that have a garden already, one that's not being redesigned, how can we design sustainability into an existing garden? Okay.
0: So by living within our means, um, I don't mean the sort of uh, financially, really. I mean the other resources that we have. So, for example, I was reading the other day um, how much water there is in the world. So uh, apparently only 2% of the water in the world is fresh water. And even that's uh, quite a bit of that is um, locked up in ice caps and glaciers. So we, and it's finite, as you know, water goes round and round. So living within our means means how can we live without wasting that amazing resource? So for a, a normal person in a normal garden, that means using less, uh, saving, reusing what we have and um, not because of of the way that um, the weather systems are working at the moment, when we get one of these sort of hundred year events more often than a hundred years, particularly in cities, we get a bit of a deluge. And so how can we mitigate that? So slowing down runoff in our gardens is really important. So not covering our front gardens in tarmac or concrete, but actually in uh, planting or grass or gravel or a rain garden, all those sorts of things where we can slow down runoff is really important. So water is really important. Uh, That's living within our means. Food is another thing which is really important. And if we could all just have a a little compost bucket or a bokashi bin and uh, keep our scraps, then that would be a huge help apparently the uk produces the highest amount of food waste in europe which i didn't know yes unfortunately we do it's not good no a a third of all food produced globally goes to waste which when you think that quite a few people are sort eight and a half million people in the uk are in food poverty really it it would be wonderful if we i think kept a track of our of our waste. So by keeping our scraps, we can kind of see what we throw away. And that's the thing about if you grow your own, you're much less likely to throw away a, a bit of lettuce, which has been slightly eaten um, if you've grown it yourself. And actually, did you know that if it's been slightly eaten, it might be better for you because of the way plants put out... Um, chemicals if they have been slightly attacked there might be more goodness in that piece of lettuce (laughs)
1: so yes looking after ourselves
0: as well as looking after nature so living within our resources yes there's uh, there's water there's food there's soil if you're encompassing you're refeeding the soil so looking after um looking after our soil we spoke about energy earlier on um those those are all the sorts of things really to to live within our means
1: yeah, and I and you know, and I, I totally agree with you on all of those points. You know, um, I am in the midst of doing some uh, redo. I say redesigning my garden, if you like, and um, and I've decided this time I, I was very much a herbaceous girl, as most of us are. We love our ornamental plants, but I've said to myself, Arit, you've got to have to make space for some vegetable in those borders because it can't all be in containers. I was trying to cheat, and it's like no. <laughs> <laughs> the plant's going to have to squish up a bit and yeah. uh, get, get some vegetables in. So, yeah, so yeah. watch this space. So use your so, coffee grounds and eggshells. They'll come in handy. Yeah, I certainly will. Yeah. I certainly will. I mean, um, now I know that you work on um, a variety of projects. You know, you're, you've are you had large-scale projects, but also you have, you know, you do work on small-scale projects as well. I mean, it's, I mean, you know, it is a myth, isn't it, that we can't have sustainability in smaller gardens? It's not just about large acres and and big rolling spaces.
0: Uh, absolutely no, and and I think that the uh, the idea of the well, shade, water, soil, compost, all those sorts of things, they can be done on a balcony or or a windowsill. So if you've got a south-facing hot window, then you can grow something which loves the green even an indoor plant which loves it sorry loves the green loves the the sun and turns it into um increasing the uh, purity of the air for you and um also helps with shading so that you don't have to you know spend money on i mean we don't really have much air conditioning in this country but it helps to cool the air um and similarly um having a bokashi bin or a compost bin collecting s- scraps even a, a Without a garden, those are really important. Growing herbs. And the other thing I think that sustainability is the, back to the beginning of looking after yourself. If you grow a few herbs and put those in your tea, that's really good for you. And you don't have to then sort of spend money on the same sorts of tea bags, which are then transported and manufactured and all those sorts of things. You're just reducing the steps, uh, which include always include some energy and some fossil fuel.
1: Yeah, I mean I really like the fact that you know I can tell sort of talking with you that whenever you're thinking about a garden that it's about you know what what we can take from it what we can and give to it so it's not just about you know those big design statements of you know trying to kind of put in showy I don't know showy pergolas that are made of fancy metal, et cetera, et cetera. It's more to it, isn't it? There's more to a sustainably designed garden than than just showing our design prowess.
0: Yes, I'm not, yes. I think, um, what do they call about? Power versus force and the, yes, ego versus the uh, collective or whatever. I I think that a a lot of people are thinking much more about how we can work together. It's not just me by any means. And I think it's a wonderful thing. Um, I'm absolutely up for beauty and I'm, I'm up for, perg- for pergolas we we did put a lovely pergola in um, using sustainable wood um, and yes we, it was a lovely pergola the reason I'm thinking about it actually because it had a blackbird nesting on it and we had a really good contractor who managed to take out the old struts put in the new ones and the blackbird didn't move so that was really lovely <laughs> Wow, <laughs> we got to see the chicks. Yes, yeah, so it can be done. You don't have to sacrifice beauty or chicness for sustainability. And I think that's the other sort of myth. We don't. I mean, much as I love my Birkenstocks, we don't all have to wear sandals and socks. Uh, only those that, that want to. It's completely. There's many, many different looks and different ways of getting to sustainability
1: well that's it I think you know as you said with the materiality you know a pergola, I mean I love a pergola, I've got to be honest but I think that the, the you know how that pergola maybe sits within a garden it's that material choice isn't it it's the it to, is. it's the materials yes. that we yeah. use
0: and there's another hierarchy there so if you're looking at woods in this country um an oak is a it's a hard uh, long, you know, long-lasting wood, but it's um, we we do grow oaks in the UK. They're not as straight as some of the ones which are brought in. So then you have to factor in uh, because we don't grow them. You know we haven't grown them for many many years in in, in forests. So you have to factor in that larch is another western red cedar. It's not a native, but it's it grows very well over here. It's a very good very good choice of wood. If you're going to have a metal, then a metal which can be recycled. Um, and then, if it's going to be uh, coloured, if it can be painted with a uh, an eco paint with less particulates, rather than powder coated, which then sprays all over the place and has lots of particulates, is not very good for the people using it. Um, it all, all those sorts of, there are all those sorts of little decisions, uh, sort of a hierarchy of um, of sustainability, just to factor in all those sorts of things. And then, can it be taken apart and reused at the end? which is, I know uh, from our conversations of old areas, one of your your um, favourite things as well, is it's all very well, was it res- recycled before, but can it be recycled afterwards? So can it be unscrewed? Um, can it be mended? Um, are all the components in it things which can be reused on something else? So, yeah, so it's not really wood versus metal. It's, it's more a question of all those little decisions on the way
1: yeah and I, and I, and i'm glad that you did bring up about you know the end of life of a of a garden because you know obviously um we, the trend at the minute is that people are slightly moving around less obviously we know that some people are trying to shift out of the city but for other people they're redeveloping their home so the garden being one of those things um and i know it's important that if you're going to go into your space is to if you're taking things out, sorry, of your space, that you've got to think where's it going to end up. Because I know that you've got a great story. I mean, it was that project where you literally—I mean, it was a big project. You know, just so that um, people listening do understand that. But the size and scale of the project—you would have thought that truckloads of waste would have disappeared on that. You had one skip. I we mean, how did you how did you skip. do that?
0: We had one skip. Well, we just reused everything, and in fact. We we use stuff on site, but since then I have a, another uh, contractor. He's brilliant, and he is now saying, and, and it's the truth, that he is a no-skip company because he has found out where everything needs to go, and rather than sending anything off in a skip, he, he takes it or, or has deals with people who come and collect it, so everything that leaves the garden uh, gets recycled, down to the plastic bags, um, if there are plastic bags being brought in for you know whatever's coming in. So yes, yeah, he's uh, done brilliantly.
1: I mean, that is a mindset change, isn't it? I mean, I know that yeah. um, I, I feel like sometimes when I go to the to take my uh, green waste um, because I don't have a big garden for some of the amount of green waste that I've got, so some of it has to go. Yeah. And uh, I've taken it down to the local recycling, and they must look like Stig of the Dump because I'm emptying <laughs> the bags and taking them back with me. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, don't leave, I don't leave them there. I'm always thinking, Marion got to one skip, you know, that, that's, got to, that's got to be done. But, I mean, I think, you know... Um, that, that idea of reuse um, and, and, and also coupled with the living within our means, it's not a problem to reuse. You know, I think that's the thing, isn't it? I've um, taken out a shed and I've got going to have the shed base. You know, you can crush that back up, can't you? And use it as hardcore elsewhere. That type of thing, do you mean?
0: Yes, absolutely. So you can use it elsewhere on site. And if you can't reuse it, then somebody else will have a use for it. I think that's the thing. Um obviously it's better to design in it being used again on site because then you're not even using your fossil fuels to take it elsewhere or anybody else to, to come and get it. But um, if you're in a small space and you're not going to be able to reuse it, then finding the people that can. And there's a market for most things.
1: Hmm. Yes, definitely. Even even you often see people that leave something outside the front door one day and it's gone the next, isn't it? You know. Yes, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, definitely. Now, I know um, within some of your projects, you know, I've seen them, um, either I've been lucky enough to go and visit them or, or I've seen them maybe in a magazine. Um, and I can, they always got such an elegance about them. Um, so, you know, what you were saying earlier that they, that, you know, that you can still have an elegant garden, but the the, the underneath the sort of the engine part of the garden is still um, a light touch. So, I'd be really interested if you could share some of the methodology of how we can have a lighter footprint when we're maybe laying um, pavers or um, if there's any other tips that you have in terms of... Sometimes it's a method, isn't it, with regards to sustainability, so not, say, putting pavers on cement, for example, and things like that.
0: Yes, I think... uh, Thank you very much for saying that, Elegant. That makes me very happy. (laughs) Um, I think that it comes back to that purpose doesn't it and it comes back to what your notion of beauty is so if you had some old concrete pavers and you didn't want to get rid of them rather than having a full terrace of concrete pavers on cement with nothing between apart from maybe some great big fat cement uh, joints which might then be struck and which struck means that you can see the shadows as a line rather than that in the absolute minimum there you could do would be to take out the uh, cement between the pavers put in some gravel or some soil and grow something and maybe take out every third or every fourth um, cement block and plant in that break it and break up the sub-base but no even that would be much softer much better for the environment and, and more elegant as you say so i think it's those sorts of light touches so you're not afraid to work with what you've got um and softening things uh, and softening things I mean sometimes you want to put things in lines in order to create the sort of feeling of order so people who are a little more wary of messiness for example in sustainability you can have your uh, wildflower you could have a wildflower in, in a straight line you know and just I mean that would that would be fine or you could have moss which is beautifully tidy um in between a paving stone which doesn't get in the, in the way of other things. Or you could have gravel. So I think all of those sorts of little things. And then lighting, if you're going to have lighting, you can have very discreet, small lighting, um, uh, trying not to disturb bats, so not to uplight trees, but to keep it very discreet. I think that makes things more elegant. Um, yeah, so I think all of those ways of working uh, with within parameters. The other, another thing to think about is how many materials you've got. If you don't use too many different materials, then that can, if it's a very small space, I think that can feel more elegant. Um, and where you find them. So I think that um, antiques fairs, or not even antiques fairs, but sort of secondhand fairs are a great resource for finding a bit of chic and making stuff. So... Um, I know, Eric. Recently, you found some a brilliant um, yard for reclaimed wood, and there are places that that you can go that have all sorts of reclaimed. This is what I was saying about there being a market for for everything. But reclaimed wood it makes is a wonderful resource for making frames, or compost bins, or tables, or I mean, those pallet sofas are super. You can have. Um, Or you can, yes, I could
1: go on. I could go on. Yes, I know. It's great. It's just like listening because it's kind of making me think about all different sorts of things that I've seen. I remember um, there's the perforated sheets, you know, that that almost look like the inside of a a washing machine drum. Nice, yes. um, And I've seen those kind of... uh, welded into just like a circle and bang, there you go, there's a container I and mean, they look really, really um smart. But the bees, if you put sand in them, this is John Little, um, he put sand in them at the bottom of the container, and so that the solitary bees can go and bury themselves in there. So it, it's it sounds as if it's a lot of it is well, isn't it, is thinking about within the design of the garden what what use can it be put to so like you said with the paving if i open up the paving i can get more planting and if i get more planting i can get more um uh little beneficiary uh, insects come in so so then it becomes not just aesthetic for us it's also got a, a function for the for the other clients as i call them yes. um, in in yeah. the garden yeah and so slow down the
0: water and um and also the urban um heat island effect you reduce that the more planting you have Now, Marion,
1: water is really important in the garden. And I don't mean just obviously the the rainfall and the capture. I mean, you know, having water features, having water for wildlife. Um, And that's something that you try to take into your schemes. Um, Can you give us examples? You know, maybe in a larger garden, what can be achieved, and then again in a smaller garden, what can be achieved Um, sort of through the design process. And maybe if you have any tips on different materials that we can use, because obviously, often a lot of pond liners are made out of rubbers and plastics.
0: Yeah, yeah, definitely. So, I mean, water is amazing, it just changes the whole character of the space, it bounces the light around, it changes the sound. it also can help the ecosystem because you get uh, sort of the evaporation, which can really help um, benefit the, the plants which are growing as well as the um, providing a space for creatures to drink. And so I think the a lovely thing to do is to have a rain garden. That's sort of an absolute minimal. So it means that you're just celebrating when the rain comes And then when it's gone, it's gone. So you don't have to have uh, an actual sort of body of water the whole time. So that can run through um, gravel or large stones and and then completely run away. It could be um, planted up. I quite like the way as well... That in this country, when it rains, sometimes we can be, the weather forecast can be, oh, it's raining. But actually, if you've got a rain garden, it's like, oh, it's raining. (laughs) Let's go (laughs) and have a look. Um, So that's really important. Then in terms of uh, just a small water feature, I mean, I have a, I went to Arden Lai, which is a great antiques sort of, well, not antiques, but a secondhand fair. And I got an old metal bucket and I have planted that up. By planted that up, I mean I got a piece of hessian. I dug up something from a pond and wrapped it in hessian, wrapped that with a piece of string, put a brick on it to hold it down. If voila! You know, there's a, there's a mini pond. And that's great. You've already then got... Um, a a little bit of water and some green, which means it can oxygenate. The other thing is to put gravel in because the gravel increases the surface area for the beneficial bacteria, which means that it's less likely to to, to go green. Um, And if you can put something in near the top with a bit of moss, I mean, I, I happen to have like an old brick in my garden, which was a bit mossy. So that's a great place for bees to sit and drink. So already, you know, you've got yourself a little ecosystem where the dragonflies can dip in. The bees have got somewhere to drink um, and you've got a bit of greenery to stick up and and invite in the pollinators. So that's a beautiful, tiny little um, way of doing that. Uh, Slightly bigger than that, if you are going to create a pond, um, you can use a a material called bentonite, which is kind of clay. So that is instead of a, a pond liner. If you're going to use a liner, then rubber is slightly better than plastic because it Rubber is, can be a natural resource rather than a plastic, which is definitely fossil fuels. Um, and but the bentonite is it is quarried, so it has some of those issues. You know, it's dug out of the ground and it's transported. Um, so one has to factor all of these things. And I mean, quite honestly, there's nothing we can do that doesn't have any impact on the world. Mm-hmm. But we're just trying to do uh, slightly less impact. So we can't yeah. beat ourselves up about every everything we just need to sort of make decisions as we as we go along.
1: Yeah. And I guess that's really important isn't it? I think that certainly what I'm, you know, uh getting as I you know, venture more and more into sustainability. The more people I talk to, there is an element of research. There is an element that it can take a little bit more time because the method or the the you know the process or the material that you're using might take a bit more time. And I think that that's not a bad thing because, you know, we're racing ahead in the world and maybe that's part of the issues that we're in. We need to take a little bit more time, slow slow design, Slow design, maybe. We need to start a new trend, Marion.
0: <laughs> slow living, slow design. Yes, yeah, just being thoughtful, isn't it? And not subcontracting your decision-making. I think that's it. Um, it's that sort of thing of, you know, where are the grown-ups? Well, we're kind of, we're the grown-ups, so we have to make our own decisions, don't we?
1: What kind of things can we do for our boundaries? Because often, especially if we're in urban environments, we've got fences. Um, Obviously, it might be different if you're a bit more um, suburban or country. So let's think about sustainability for our boundaries of our gardens.
0: Absolutely. So I think the first thing is to see what you've got there already and see whether that is absolutely fine and not necessarily take it out. So, for example, if you have an old wall with moss growing on it, if... and lichen, if it's not falling down or or dangerous or um, hideous, then those things are actually really good for cleaning the air. So I would leave those on. Um, If you have an old fence and it's got some ivy growing on it or some other uh, climbers growing on it, again, if it's not pulling the fence down or it's not rotten, then I would think about um, working with leaving some of that and then adding to it. Ivy is a fabulous bee plant, as you know. It's a wonderful wildlife plant. It can get out of hand. So if you can keep it to the... Again, it's your tidiness... um, We all have a sort of tidiness index, if you like. (laughs) You can keep it within your tidiness index and then plant things. You can also, there was a, we did a London garden where we um, left an old fence, which was um, a bit fally down, and we put a rebar frame in front of it. Rebar is reinforced bars, which is sort of a rusty looking, it's uh, not expensive. And we put a grid of that up in front of it and grew climbers up it. And quite a lot of them were edible So it was a sort of a skinny, a skinny hedge, if you like. (laughs) If you you haven't got much room,
1: that's a great way of doing a skinny, skinny
0: green hedge. Yeah,
1: I've definitely made a note of that one. I love that one. Yeah, great. Yeah, very good. Um, And then it would be so rude of me not to talk to you from a design perspective about the show-stopping plants. What's your key your key principle that you use um, for your planting? I thought you were going to ask me my favourite plants. I thinking, oh, oh no, no I, I, would, I, I wouldn't. I wouldn't, <laughs> I wouldn't ask you that. It's, a, it's the most unbearable question. I'd never do that to you. Married? Oh, it's <laughs> Tuesday. What would it be on a Tuesday? <laughs> yeah. um,
0: so the principles of planting are uh, number one: protect the soil. So make sure that you have ground cover. And also that you are protecting the soil beneath. So trees are a wonderful way of knitting soil together um, through their root systems. And as we uh, know, we're very lucky now to have had some brilliant researchers and writers. We now know that they speak to each other, they communicate under the soil um, and exchange information, but also sugars and health benefits with other plants. So under the ground is as important as on top of the ground. Then after the ground cover plants, which are the small plants which creep and cover the ground, is the, is the name, then I would plant um, emergents, so plants which are slightly taller than that, and they would be seasonal things, which um, then provide sort of interest throughout the year. So interest for me, so I can go out and, and see be- beauty at all times of year, but also interest for um animals so that they can, uh, I can have pollinators throughout the year. And also um, interest for my tummy. So things which I can eat. So plants which are gonna be of benefit to me. The next layer up would be the uh, shrubs and subshrubs. So plants which are there um, to give structure and also benefits in terms of food and interest. And some of those might be nitrogen fixes as well, which um, then gives benefit to the ground. On the ground cover as well, you could have something like a clover, which is also a nitrogen fix. And that reduces your use of fertilizers, for example. So we talked about composting, but the other way to reduce fertilizers is through what you plant. Finally, the tree layer. And if you have room for any trees, um, I did did mention that from their roots, but also their benefits from their canopy is huge. Not just somewhere for the birds to sit, but also the air cleaning that they do the um pollution screening the uh, solar gain the fact that they shade us in summer and allow light through in winter if they're deciduous and uh pollination for for the um for pollinators so yes Lots of layers in a garden, I think, is the key. And um, we mentioned climbers
1: before, but I think yep. to, go, to go down and to go up. <laughs> yeah. Simple. <laughs> <laughs> Great. That means we can have it all. But yeah, the, the, again, I think it's this, uh, what I'm like is that when you're talking about design, it would be too easy for us to go into specific plants and get excited with which exact plants, Marion. It's the, it's the approach, isn't it? It's 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 what are we trying to do? That's what I'm getting from this whole design. Sustainably design is is what is it we're trying to do?
0: What are we trying to do? And then overlaid on that, what makes us happy? So if we have a memory of the scent of a rose that we just remember from a childhood, then please have roses. Similarly, if you have a, a memory of sitting under a certain sort of tree, a birch tree, or a and a maple or anything as a child, then put that in and just make yourself
1: happy. <laughs> Good. I've got loads of things now. I can't get an, I had an oak tree before, but I can't get that quite into my garden. But I could do a baby oak. <laughs> do a little baby oak. Okay, well, I'm going to ask you one last question because I could obviously, as with all of the um, guests, keep speaking all day. But um, my, the final takeaway point, what one change should we all be making now in designing our gardens in a more sustainable way?
0: I think the one change would be thinking of ourselves as part of the garden. If we could just stand out there and rather than thinking of the garden as a separate thing or a separate space, if we could just stand out there and allow ourselves to imagine ourselves being part of that garden what would we want? If I was growing in this garden, if I was going to be this garden, what would I want? So if we can transfer ourselves into being thinking separately, to be thinking as as part of something, I think that would be the biggest change.
1: Great. That's perfect because I'm in the process of that myself. So I can reimagine some of those final elements that I've got to do in the garden. I can Yeah, if I had to literally live in that garden, literally there 24-7, what would I need? Great. That's a great way of thinking about it. Oh, thank you, Marion. Oh, thank you so much for your time and your sharing your experience with us. And um, it's been an absolute pleasure. So thank you.
0: Thank you, Arid. And I'm so glad that you're doing this podcast. It's brilliant.
1: Oh, great. Thank you. thanks for listening to me ara anderson on the bbc gardeners world magazine podcast you can find out more about the themes we've covered today at gardenersworld.com forward slash podcast if you enjoyed this episode please tell others about it rate us in your podcast provider app and don't forget to subscribe on apple spotify or acast to never miss an episode see you next time